Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. My snapshot this week is air conditioning. Air conditioning. What a wonderful idea. Uh, I wish I had air conditioning. One of the few times in the year that I wish I had air conditioning. Yeah, I bring this up for those who aren't aware because the temperature in Jeff's Seattle exceeded 100 degrees. Yes. Yeah, even in our neighborhood, which tends to be a little bit cooler, but it was uh, my neighbor's weather station hit 100 degrees yesterday, and I know other people in the city who had temperatures of 104, 110. It was very, very hot. Yeah, I have friends in Portland, and for them it was 114 yesterday, which it, it just beggars belief, actually. In that part of the country where it rains all the time, it's generally cold and rainy. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Portland is nestled in such a way that when they have extreme heat, they they really get hit harder right there. You would think, oh, it's all sort of on the coast-ish. and Yeah. Uh, yeah, th that's not the case. So anyway, um, I've melted. Uh, hopefully you have <laughs> a good topic idea today. We had a visit over the weekend. Now, this is I've been reflecting on how normalcy is slowly creeping back into my life. Um, my partner's daughter and her family came to visit from Friday to Sunday. Um, this is the first time since the lockdown that we've had anyone in our house. We've had some visits of people who stayed in our landlord's holiday cottages and came in our garden. We have a gazebo that we bought last summer um, to be able to sit outside in the sun and the rain. But this is the first time we've had anyone home. And we were hanging out and doing things on, I think it was Saturday. And the daughter and her husband, they have two kids. Summer is almost six years old and Fleur is about 18 months old. And we were all outside in the garden, and Summer was sitting on this little chair, and she leaned back and she fell over. <laughs> and I saw her there with her feet sticking out over the chair. I said, Summer, don't move. Don't move. I want to get my camera. So I ran in and I got my camera. I said, just stay exactly like that. We'll put the photo in the show notes. Um, <laughs> this, was not, this was not staged. This is exactly how she fell. And I took a bunch of photos, um, trying to get the angle right and the position right, because I only wanted to see the feet. My partner said to me, oh, I thought you were going to shoot from above when you went to get the camera. Because no, what was interesting was just the feet sticking out over the chair. So from that point on, I kept my camera with me and I figured I'm going to take some photos. And I've never really taken a lot of photos of young children. I have a son who's 30. So when he was young, I had a little point and shoot film camera. Took a few photos, but not a lot. Um, of these two grandchildren, the youngest one, well, this is the first time we've seen her that she's been old enough to walk, you know, what, what with the, the lockdown. And even when the older one was here, I've only ever taken a few photos. But I got into the whole thing and took a bunch of photos. And afterwards, I reflected about taking photos of children. And there are a bunch of things that you need to do, many of which I didn't do because I hadn't really thought about it. I was just taking photos. Yeah. And since Jeff has taken 113,000 photos of his daughter and <laughs> is very uh, skilled at this, I figured this would be a good topic, taking photos of children. Yeah. Well, this is one of those things where I would guess a lot of people listening have had this experience, which is either they are parents who want to get pictures of their kids or I would say, and, or they have a decent camera. And if you have a decent camera, 
you end up being the person who is taking a whole lot of the pictures. You know, I mean, maybe that's that's intentional. Maybe it's not intentional. In my experience, I've taken a lot of pictures of my daughter and her friends, and it's uh, you know just because I'm the quote unquote photographer. And Jeff's got a good camera. He can take Jeff's pictures. Jeff's got a good camera. You must have made really good pictures. <laughs> and so it's it's definitely something that I think comes up for a lot of people, even if that is just using your iPhone too. But the idea is when you're taking pictures of kids, it's not like there's going to be this flower that's rooted that's not going to move or this sunset or landscape that's not going to move. And so there are all sorts of different challenges that I think people will run into. And there, what's nice is there are a few things that you can do to make this a lot easier that you might not think of. Well, first of all, if you're doing it with an iPhone, it's really easy. Yeah. Because a number of the, the points we're going to discuss are not things you have to worry about with the iPhone. If you're doing it with a, like I like to say, a real camera, not to denigrate the iPhone, yeah. then it's a whole different story. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Okay. So I've got a list of about a half a dozen points, and I'm going to go through them, and you're going to tell me about your experience. And so I'm going to start with focal length. I had the Fujifilm 35mm f1.4 lens on my XE4. Um, this is a beautiful lens. And in fact, I want to put a link in the show notes to the video that Chris Nichols and Jordan Drake did last week, where Chris impaled his foot on a piece of rebar sticking out of the ground on a trail. Ouch. But they were talking about the two different types of primes available for Fujifilm. They were looking at 18, 23, and 35 millimeters, and the less expensive and more expensive ones. Um, this 35 millimeter 1.4, so that's a 50 millimeter equivalent for normal 35 millimeter. It has a really nice character, and I don't know how to define it. And and everyone says that, and, and Chris talked about it in the, the video. And I've really gotten into using this lens a lot. I like the 50 millimeter focal length, so what's 35 on Fuji? But here's the problem. Kids move around a lot. And 35 millimeter, we'll have a couple of photos I took in the show notes. They kind of cropped or were very close to cropping things that I wanted to keep, you know, the heads of the kids. <laughs> I would probably have been better off with a 23 millimeter or 35 millimeter equivalent. Yes, I wanted to keep the heads of the it's kids. It's definitely yes. a good idea to keep the heads of the kids <laughs> in the frame. Not always. I, I don't want to, you know, eliminate any... Well, I don't mean it cropped the entire heads off, but just the top of the head. Yes. This is actually a thing in portraits. You often see this um, professional portraits where they cut the top of the head, and I never understood that. I've never understood it, that either. I if think someone's bald, I can, I can see the point. Um, and depending on your photo, when you're catching something happening, it's not that big a deal, but I would have rather had a little bit more room to crop. Mm -hmm. So I probably would have preferred a 23 millimeter, again, 35 millimeter equivalent, or a zoom lens where I would have had both possibilities to go wide and to go telephoto when I'm not right next to them and they're not looking. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's like... Like, like the bigger issue here is kids move and they also don't always have the best attention spans. And so I'm really rather impressed that Summer was willing to just hang out there and let you run inside, grab a camera, take your pictures. Not every kid will do that. And so not only do you have to think of 
whether the kids are moving, you have to think about distance because there are some times when, like you said, you have a good prime. I have a, a 52 millimeter f1.2 that I like to use for portraits, but you kind of have to, you know, be a fixed distance away. So having a zoom lens actually gives you a lot more flexibility if the kids running around in the distance coming up close, because what you want to focus on is just framing and capturing the action and making sure you get that moment versus, okay, now I would like you to come over here and stand here and, and pose here, which you can do in my experience, but it either involves bribery or cajoling or you just have to work fast. So it's absolutely possible to do like a portrait session. And I've done that uh, with my kid several times. Um, it's especially good like when there's a haircut, right? And you want to do like, like, like show the new haircut. The, there's one and I'll put some photos in the, in the show notes. She had really long hair and was tired of it. And so she was going to go get a, a really short cut. And I was like, okay, while you've got this long hair, let's do some fun things. And so I had her just like, you know, throw her hair back. And I put my camera on a really fast burst mode. And just, I ended up taking a thousand pictures <laughs> one afternoon. And I have a whole bunch, you know, that of course, like they were just thrown away. But because there was like this special thing she was willing to to yeah you know to keep a record of to the long sit hair. for it yeah yeah but nowadays uh she's 13 and it's yeah, like okay over. you have about 12 seconds dad and then i'll wander off <laughs> yeah so one thing about the focal length is that i wanted something i mean this is what was on my camera but this is what i like to shoot to get that not too close not too far kind of thing mm -hmm. And also, I wanted to be able to use a wide open aperture. So the one portrait we're going to put in the show notes was shot at f1.8. I wanted to get that, you know, that background blur, you know, that B word that I don't say. Um, I wanted to make it a portrait portrait. Mm -hmm. So I could have gone in after the first one on the chair and gotten a different lens, but I was kind of happy with that style of trying to get that depth of field. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, th this is the case where... Even if you're not a huge fan of the background blur, in a portrait setting, it works much better because what you're trying to do is bring all the attention to the subject of the photo. And in this case, this picture of her, it doesn't really matter that you've got the farm buildings and the bushes and stuff in the background because like, she is the star. And so that's a case where the, the blur really works to your advantage. And also, and I don't want to discuss too much about editing the photos, but there are some shadows under the eyes, and you showed me some tricks with Lightroom to make the eyes more visible. And uh, another thing that in this kind of photography is you don't really have an option to, okay, can you turn this way and I'll move over there and change the light a little bit? It just doesn't, you, you can't do that. You have to take what you can when you, when you get it. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, like I said, you could, you know, ask them to move a certain way, but you kind of have to to think of that as as you have a limited number of times that you can get away with that. Yeah. And, and and especially, you know, the situation that you were in was not, hey, come over to my house and we'll do a portrait session. 
This was right. just, you know, like she was there. She was playing in the grass. She was hanging out. And the appeal of this, and I think I would say this is probably 80 to 90 percent of the kid photos that we all take, is you want to capture a moment. You want to capture that spirit. You want to capture, you know, them playing. And so, you know, yeah, you might not get the perfect lighting. That's okay because you're you're looking for the emotion. You're looking for, you know, that sort of sometimes like a quizzical look. Um, in this case, this picture of her is fantastic. I love the look on her face because she has that look of, okay, you're going to take a picture of me, but I've got like 15 different things on my mind, but I'll do this. <laughs> And then I'm done, and then I'm going to go, you know, jump onto those other 15 things. Actually, she quite enjoyed having the photos taken, and oh, she good. wanted to, to see them in the camera, and she was really into it. Their mother takes photos all the time with an iPhone. Oh, okay. Um, and the younger daughter, when I picked up the camera and said, can I take a picture? She immediately goes, cheese. Nice. <laughs> so she already knows that. Um, so I want to talk about aperture. Now, I wanted to get something with, you know, a nice background blur here, mm -hmm. but when you're dealing with kids who move and are going to be at different distances, it's really important to use a, a sort of a middle range aperture, f5.6, f8, so you have more depth of field. A number of these photos have out of focus things that they're not perfect, but this is just the reality of the situation. Yeah. I, I think the photo that we're going to include in the show notes of the little girl Flora holding the flower, um, you can see her... Her nose is in focus and her eyes are just out of focus and her finger on her left hand is in focus. And I would have liked a little bit more in focus. But again, that one was shot at F4. Hmm. Um, so that's even a lot more than the first one. But when you look at the depth from the flower to the face and the hand and all that, it would have been better if it was, say, F8. Yeah, yeah. But then you run into an issue where you're having to increase the ISO or... You know, like there are things that you can do. And the first thing I think of is, hang on, let me go grab my camera and break out my reflector. And, you know, <laughs> but then, of course, that's that ruins all sorts yeah. of spontaneity. You can ask them to either step into the sunlight or step into the shade. There are there are absolutely things that you can do, but. But it, it, the spontaneity is more important. The spontaneity is more important. And also, um, we'll, we'll also put, this is going to be a show notes picture heavy episode, I can tell already. Yeah. Um, so when you sent me the raw file of the picture of Summer, and I was able to bring out some of the details in her face and her eyes, the, the JPEG, her eyes were like really, really dark. And the, the raw file, we were able to bring that out. And so knowing that you have some of that flexibility, yeah, it's okay if her face is a little bit in shadow because we can fix that. We can boost the shadows and not ruin everything else. In this case, I went into Lightroom and I did a radial gradient over each eye and just increase the exposure like just a little bit. Not so much that okay. she looks alien. And, yeah. you know, it, it takes a bit more work. But knowing yep. that you can do that gives you the flexibility of, oh, geez, I didn't have the lighting right. Well, don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you mentioned ISO, and I think that's really important. you got to have a high enough ISO so you're flexible and you can keep your shutter speed relatively fast. Kids move quickly, especially the younger one never stopped moving. Yeah. So you want you don't want to be stuck shooting at 160th of a second and have things blur. Yeah. And also, 
oftentimes if you have your camera set to say like an auto or semi-auto mode it will say oh one thirtieth of a second will get really nice light here and one thirtieth of a second handheld you're going to get a blur that is formerly known as a kid and so <laughs> you you really want to be able to either manually set a high shutter speed or uh, you know, do some of the things that we've talked about in the past to make sure you're shooting, you know, I would say one one twenty fifth at a minimum. A minimum, yeah. Or higher, just because yeah. they are going to move. Even if they're standing still, they're going to move. Yeah. And so you want to be able to capture that. Okay, continuous focus. Um, this is really important mm. because, again, they do move. They, and they particularly, they move from the focal plane, forward and backwards, yeah. not only sideways. So the only way you're going to get something in focus, you, you, if you've got a high enough aperture, that's going to help with the depth of field. But continuous focus is really essential in this type of thing. Yeah. This is where having a modern camera that can pick out eyes and faces, especially for focus. I was going to get to that one next, oh, okay. face and eye detection. So let's talk about both of them at the yeah, same time. Yeah, it, I did not have face and eye detection on, and I should have. Oh, yeah. It, I I found it really, really helped. Sometimes it misfires. But again, you know, these modern cameras, one of the reasons that I got my X-T3 a couple of years ago was because it had improved eye and face detection. And I know the, the Sony cameras are really, really good at this. So if you are going to shoot kids especially, sorry, photograph kids especially, <laughs> <can't Yes>. that, <laughs> then uh, it's almost an essential feature because they're going to move even in micro adjustments and the camera's processor can keep up with that usually. Okay. Burst mode. Burst mode, um, yes. Really useful with kids because... Uh, the, the portrait of summer, I shot about a half a dozen photos. I wasn't in burst mode. And most of them weren't good, and I got lucky with one of them. Um, if you shoot in burst mode, you have a much better chance of getting the right thing. When they're not blinking, when they're not turned the wrong way, when they're not disturbed. Um, if, if you can get, like, I think on my Fuji, I can get 12 shots per second, or at least eight. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge amount of photos. Yeah, uh, That'll generally, over two seconds, you'll generally get a usable photo. Yeah, yeah. You're going to throw away a lot, and that's okay. Because you will find something that does work. Also, I found that one of the cool things about burst mode is it kind of makes a lot of noise. Suddenly your camera's yeah. going brrrr, and that, you know, at least at first until they get used to it, like that's a point of interest. And so you start shooting burst mode and suddenly they're a little bit more alert and wondering like, why is your camera making that cool noise instead of just the click, click or the, you know, single, you know, sound that some you know iphone cameras make i don't know if we're going to keep that sound in but <laughs> well i think we will <laughs> i guess we'll um, have to now i use the electronic shutter on my camera so it makes very little noise oh right right in fact you can turn the the sound off on a fujifilm camera mm -hmm. for the electronic shutter so it doesn't make that noise um it, it actually could be interesting if you do have the mechanical shutter because that will attract attention and the kids hear it kind of like a a toy machine gun, they'll probably look at the camera when they hear that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was doing a photo shoot of some family members, and I put it into a high burst mode, I think because it was windy, I think, and they had a dog, and the dog was moving all over. 
And even, you know, standing maybe 10 feet away, they could hear that, and they commented on it. They're like, whoa, wow, is that your camera making all that noise? And, you know, it's it's just a nice... I mean, A, it's a great feature. If your camera can shoot with a electronic shutter versus a manual shutter, the electronic tends to be much faster. So especially if you're dealing with somebody who is moving a lot more, you can get many more captures and do it quietly and end up with a lot of good material. Yeah, on the X-C4, it goes up to 20 frames per second with the electronic shutter. Nice. Uh, eight frames with the mechanical shutter. So that's a big difference. Wow, that is. It really is. Okay, the last thing I have in my list is use a small white camera. Kids will not be intimidated by a small white camera. They're used to seeing iPhones taking photos. If you got some big DSLR with this big lens sticking out, they might just feel uncomfortable that it looks like it looks somewhat intrusive. Um, I've got the X-T3 and the X-C4. The X-C4 is smaller. It's lighter. It's easier to, to move around. The smaller the camera the easier it's going to be to be even unobtrusive when the kids aren't expecting you to take photos. Because after I took a few, then they kind of went to do their thing and they weren't paying attention to me. And I would, you know, take a photo every now and then. It's not obtrusive. Camera size, I think, also becomes more of a factor as kids get older. At least in my experience, my kid is more aware of when I have a camera and therefore there's that that sixth sense that gets developed, which is, oh, God, dad's taking pictures again. And, you know, at one point it would be like, yay, all right, posed, you know, give me a smile or, you know, I'll just take some pictures. And actually taking a lot of pictures of your kids helps in this way because then it just becomes, oh, yeah, that's the thing that that mom or dad does. But there's going to be a point, and maybe it's because I've taken so many pictures of my, my daughter that it's been that, okay, the camera's out, I'm going to make myself scarce, or I'm going to look away. And so far, I don't have any good advice for combating that other than just, you know, asking nicely, like, okay, you're doing something really cool. Can you just stand right there for a minute? And that's that works. Or you're just, you know, keep your distance, have a zoom lens, and snap these moments as you see them without them knowing. Yeah, I think I mentioned earlier, the zoom lens allows you to be in the distance. Um, and they're so in their own world when they're running around and playing that they just wouldn't even think of you taking pictures at that point. Yeah. Okay, well, that's my point. Do you have anything to add? No, actually, I think coming from my experience, I did want to touch on the editing, which we did. Um, shooting pictures of kids, especially if it's going to be in a... I don't know, semi-formal setting uh, is really when shooting in RAW will help you. Uh, like I mentioned, and we'll show um, some before and after pictures in the show notes. But I think you just have to be patient with the kids and know their limits because there are going to be limits when you're keeping them from something. And so you want to be aware of their their moods and be aware of whether they're even into being photographed because the last thing you want is like, oh, here, take a picture and smile for me. And you get this grimace. And they give you that fake smile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think overall, like like the big overarching thing is 
take a lot of pictures and a lot of them are going to be bad. And even if some of them are bad, some of my favorite pictures, honestly, are like there are a couple of them that are out of focus, but there's an expression or a moment or an emotion that gets captured. And especially, you know, now, like I said, my kid is 13. I look back at some photos when she was four and five. I don't care that it's out of focus. It's, you know, that moment, that memory. And that's really the whole point of it. Yes. Let's remember that we're, when you're taking photos of kids, either your kids or someone else's, it's more about taking photos of the kids. It's not taking photos you're going to enter in a contest. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to be perfect. Yeah. You can blow out the highlights a bit. You can, you know, you're not taking photos that are going to be judged. Right, right. Because no matter what you do, if you're paying this much attention to the photos, they're going to be better than what the parents could have taken with their iPhone. Right, right. And I, I will also say that, you know, we, we didn't really touch on, on doing this professionally or semi-professionally or, or studio work. That's kind of a whole other ball of wax. Um, one of our previous guests, Sandra Cohen, she does lots of child photography and newborn photography. And she is a great resource for being able to, you know, work with kids um, we'll, again, put a link in the show notes. And so a lot of the stuff that we've talked about still applies, but in a sort of more studio setting, there's a little bit more of an expectation that, okay, you're all dressed up nice. We're going to do like an actual picture or maybe, you know, like a family photo. And there are things that you can bring up doing that, but it still boils down to, you don't want to tax too much of their time. You don't want to overtire them. You don't want to uh, extend their patience. And if you kind of stay in those parameters and you know what you're doing and you're getting your shots, you're going to be good and you're going to have good photos. Okay, time for our snapshots. And I was really only kidding about air conditioning. What have you got? <laughs> I, have no, I do not have air conditioning but I would like some air conditioning. Please bring me all the air conditioning. <laughs> uh, this week, I have a soft box. Now, a soft box is something you put over lights to soften the light, but this is a diffuser for a video light LED panel. As I've been writing about webcams and lighting for video, I bought a couple of LED panels as lights. And... Those are great, but sometimes the light feels a little bit harsh. And so I saw this online, and it's basically a softbox. But usually softboxes are really big and deep. And this is only a few inches, I want to say maybe five inches, six inches deep. And it's rectangular and just fits over your LED with some straps on the back to hold it there. And it just softens your look a little bit. I actually did some consulting with somebody, uh, a woman who runs a nonprofit here, and she had reached the end of her rope about uh, having to figure out her lighting because she does a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of fundraising, that sort of thing, and needed to look better. And this is one of the things that, that we got for her because it just gave her a more professional look. So... Uh, this one, they're 
are a lot of different variations of this. Uh, this is by Aloe Seed, and I think it's it's one of those Chinese things where you're going to see the same thing with a different name stamped on it. Uh, but softbox diffuser for video light collapsible LED light panel softbox diffuser. It was $17. It collapses into a little circle uh, if you wanted to take it anywhere. But in this case, she just has it set up on, a, on her lights and turns them on when she does a call and turns them off when she's done. Kirk, what do you have this week? I've always wondered about how people accessorize cameras. There's a few things that people buy for their cameras, and they include thumb grips and hand grips and soft release buttons, and I've never really understood any of those things. But I recently bought the official metal hand grip for the Fuji X-E4. And the reason I did this is that the body of the X-E4 is, is pretty much flat. Um, now, if I think back to the X100F I had, there was a little bit of a curve on the right side, so you could hold on to it. Um, and I find that with this camera being so small and light, I'm using it with a wrist strap instead of a normal strap that I put over my shoulders. And it just seemed that it would be worth trying, and it's actually a good idea for this camera. Uh, it makes it a little bit easier to hold, particularly with a heavier lens like a like the 18 to 55 zoom lens. It's 80 pounds here. I think it's 100 bucks. So that's pretty much 10% of the cost of the camera itself, which is excessive. Mm. There are no third-party ones available here in the UK yet. Um, so I bought the official Fuji, and I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. It costs what it costs. It is an improvement. It adds weight to the camera because it makes the camera deeper at the bottom. Um, I didn't weigh it, but it, it is noticeable. But it does mean that I can hold the camera with the wrist strap with a couple of fingers when it's hanging down and, and not worry about it sliding out. Now, with the wrist strap, it's not going to fall to the ground, but it's more just to have a better grip to hold on to the camera. I'm showing Jeff here that I can hold it relatively stable, um, whereas without the grip, I couldn't do so. And of course, this raises the question, I've never bought a thumb grip or a soft release shutter button or whatever. Is there any point to those things? I don't know. Every once in a while I'm tempted because my shutter button has a threaded hole and you can buy little red buttons that you put in there to, I don't know, give you a little more purchase on the shutter button. You can buy them in every single color available. You can buy them in uh, <laughs> convex, concave, uh, glitter, shined with yeah. knurled edges, with um, sort of plastic tops, and there's all different kinds. I just don't – I never have any trouble pushing the shutter button. But yeah, same here. I understand it does give you more space, um, and I might try one for five pounds just to see what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, maybe I will too. Maybe that will be our, our – our our joint challenge this week is to get some of those. Yeah, I don't know. But at the same time, ergonomics of a camera is super important. Yes. And so if it makes your hand more comfortable, then you're going to take more pictures. Exactly. And so, you know, yeah, it, it was 100 bucks or whatever it was. I think that's totally fine because you're going to feel better taking the shot. Okay. Totally worth okay, it. Okay, that's it for this week. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the end. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. 
You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast. 